You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1981 slasher classic just before dawn would that make it a slashic is it a slashic i've heard that term tossed around and i've never really like been able to use it in a sentence i like it because it's just buzzworthy enough that i think that it's going to be really effective it's kind of like this thing that i've been seeing on twitter lately where people are asking if supernatural slasher is a subgenre of slasher and when you say it, supernatural slasher, you think, yeah, okay, there's pretty much all of the big slashers are essentially magical. So that counts, I suppose. But it's like, do we need subcategories of subcategories of subcategories? Is this fucking necessary? It's getting to be as obnoxious as like fucking subcategories of metal. Like, who needs it? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say you ought to ask the uh, drone hardcore post prog doom grind bands <laughs> what they think of their sub 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 category uh, i suppose it's all in an effort to direct people specifically to the sound that they're looking for over and over and over again but do you really need to just do you really need someone to be like oh you don't want to deviate from the sound you liked one time at all you need to only listen to the one thing that's exactly every band that sounds exactly like another band those are all you want to listen to that's not how you remember when we didn't know these things lids remember when we were just like check out this new rock and roll band and you put it in there and they're just like whoa this is so much crazier and louder than before and they're like yeah right maybe crazy loud metal is what you like <laughs> No, exactly. And that was it. You need it. Like the subgenre of, of rock is metal. Metal yeah. wasn't a genre. Now it is a genre. And yeah. they just keep exploding these things. I decided at one point on my iTunes that I had, you know, a limit of 13 genres. That mm-hmm. was it. Nothing else. No subgenres. If I wanted to listen to punk, it was all the punk, all the types of punk. Mm-hmm. Because it was punk I liked, right? Mm-hmm. In my collection, not someone feeding me random punk. Who mm-hmm. wants that? Nobody. Yeah. Like, so it was like only genres, no subgenres allowed. Mm-hmm. And then I gave up on having to uh, be the the warden of my fucking music collection because it takes a lot of time. <laughs> it is really funny. It's like you could listen to uh, a type of uh, subgenre of music. And then if you try to deviate from that, people are like, whoa, what are you doing, man? I thought you liked doom metal. This is black metal. Nah, man, you can't listen to that. It's not your scene. You're not dressed properly to listen to black metal. Which is kind of hilarious because, you know what, if you listen to music properly on your own in your room and listen to shit you like, it's not going to matter. Genre doesn't fucking matter. Mm. Movie genres matter even less, too, because, like you said, there are some supernatural elements to a lot of slashers. Even in the smallest amount or hints of it, mm-hmm. like I, th- I keep thinking of Terrifier. There's nothing supernatural about Art the Clown mm-hmm. in Terrifier until the very end. And there is a hint of it where blink and you'll miss it or 
if you doubt yourself, it's a, it's a coincidence. It's all coincidences. So it, he could or could not be supernatural. He seems to be supernatural in the way he comes back from the dead. But like that's the big one. But all the other little tiny hints about it uh, near the last like eighth of the film. Up until then, he's just a fucking psycho. Yeah. But then it's more fun to think of him as supernatural even through all the beginning. If you if you think of that or want it to be. He's um, a supernatural love of gore. A supernatural love of bisecting women. Uh, there's, Hell yeah. Um, you know, I have a friend who the second, the se- the absolute second something supernatural is introduced into horror, his brain shuts off. He does. He is done with it. He does not like. Perfect example. We went to go see the movie It and uh, the remake. And when there's that moment of Pennywise luring Georgie to the sewer, the second that his fangs come out and he bites this boy's arm off, uh, spoilers. Spoilers if you haven't seen the trailer. I know. Um, He was like, oh, it's like some fucking, I think he's like, oh, it's like some ghost clown thing. He, He instantly was done with the movie like he i was like what did you think it was and he's like oh i just thought it was like some crazy guy dressed up like a clown like killing kids i thought that's what the movie was and i was like oh yeah no that's not what that is not what it is about whatsoever um but it's just it's interesting right it's how people's minds work because he so does not believe in the supernatural uh his brain won't he can't wrap it around supernatural elements of a of a story which is crazy when you put that up against the the scounds of people who will insist all horror has supernatural elements in it he needs to or it's not horror it is at that point a thriller a crime a drama something mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. it's something it's not horror at all and there are mm-hmm. people that think like that that there needs to and will be and is a supernatural element to all horror period so i guess according to them he just doesn't like horror. Would he be more comfortable with the fact that Pennywise is an extraterrestrial? You know, it's funny that you should say that because when I realized this was our conversation in the car after we were moving, leaving the movie theater, because I said, well, so you know, uh, and it's hard to, to parse this. You and I have talked about this, about the removal of a lot of the cosmic elements of the it storyline and how I don't like how really you could look at watch the, the it movies, for example, and you would really just be like, Oh, it is like a ghost or a demon. It's something it's a, it's a creature. It's an earth born creature that somehow supernatural, who knows what it is. Right. Whereas like, you know, and I know, and anyone who's read the book knows that it's cosmic horror. It's a super, it's like this fucking cosmic entity. It's an old one. It's when I explained to him the deadlight scene, what he was, what Pennywise was showing Beverly and, and all that kind of stuff. Then he thought that was cool. So yeah, when you turned it to science fiction, he was back in. Which makes sense. And yeah, I can, I can understand where he's coming from to a certain extent. Uh, I, I prefer horror without a supernatural element 
in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But you know, I love my I love me a ghost story, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I love science fiction horror. And there's always that claim that there isn't enough of it, and that's mm -hmm. where that cosmic horror and science fiction horror meets so mm -hmm. wonderfully. But yeah, it's buried. It's absolutely buried in something like it. What also is buried is talking about uh, the actual movie that we're here to talk about. You'd think it would be um, Stephen King's uh, beloved story, It, but it's not. It's the less beloved but equally cool. Well, maybe not to some people. It is to me. Slasher, Just Before Dawn. I'm going to put this on Front Street. This is a West pick. I don't know if you'd be able to figure that out from the type of movie that it is. For anyone who has seen this before, um, anybody who knows me knows that I love the golden age of slashers. I love the the initial slasher cycle more than anything. Uh, I wouldn't say it's it's my favorite subgenre of horror, but it's certainly in the top two. I kind of waffle between ghost stories and um, slashers. I love me my little ghost girls and shit like that so i love stories like that investigating and uh you know looking at old newspapers and shit microfiche but for this we have a classic tale and i hadn't thought about it in a really long time and to be fair i had uh forgotten a huge plot point of this movie uh but I did remember the ending. The ending is something that has stuck with me since I initially saw this. This is not a Chibi West pick. I was probably in my late teens when I saw this initially. So when I was just sort of trying to like gobble up any sort of old horror movie that I could find. And if you go to the horror sections uh, in... Uh, the few remaining uh, mom and pop horror uh, video stores back then, you could find shit like this with like the really thick plastic covering over it. You know, that kind of made the cover opaque and it was a little yellow and it had like a bunch of different stickers from God knows where all over it. And it was kind of broken and it just felt gross. Like it felt dirty. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. What's this? Just before dawn, whatever. I've always wondered why VHS uh, paper covers always felt so greasy and so grimy and dirty. Like I've never, I guess it's just so many people handling it and in their homes and like they forget to return it and it sits in the kitchen or the greasy pot where they're deep frying french fries or whatever for like a week <laughs> before they return it and stuff. And then it goes on to the next house full of kids and kid hands or some disgusting shit like that. But they do have a certain feel never to be replicated of things that are just passed along from person to person. Maybe old paperback books can sometimes get that feeling, but nothing quite like the greasy grime that coated rental VHS. And this particular one, looking at some of the poster art, I was like, because when you had proposed this film, I was like, have I seen it? I don't know. We'll never know if I don't watch it, because <laughs> I could say that I've watched it and probably give you an approximation of the plot just <laughs> going on a whim, you know, judging from the cover arts. Um, but even looking at some of the covers, I wasn't quite sure if I had seen it because I've seen the cover in the mom and pop video stores. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Especially the one where they've sort of got that stacked stone writing of just before dawn that looks like a Monty Python yes. movie cover or something. Yes. Yeah. That one I distinctly remember, right. but I was pretty sure I hadn't seen it judging from the look of the cast and stuff like that is just not characters or a particular scenario that I recalled. So 
I was very glad. This was on Shudder. So mm-hmm. super thanks to Shudder for existing in our world. There was a call out on the Canadian Shudder about films that you know should be streaming in Canadian services but aren't. They're trying to sort of fill those gaps. So if there's films that you think are super missing um, in Canadian streamer, not just on Shutter, but like it's not streaming anywhere in Canada and mm-hmm. it's maybe available on other services, definitely uh, buzz Shutter Canada because there are, like they do a very good job of filling a lot of gaps and movies come and go. We know that we're used to it. But if there's a movie that has been burning a hole in your brain, for years and it's never been on any streaming service up until recently that was grave encounters 2 for me and apparently it's come to shutter us but not shutter canada i had to purchase it bummer i love the movie so it doesn't matter i'm very happy to own it but it hadn't been streaming grave encounters 1 however streams all over the fucking place but Mm -hmm. yeah just a side note if there's movies that are burning a hole in your brain that you think ought to be streaming canada let shutter know I guess that goes for our U.S. listeners as well. This particular movie is one of those ones a lot like Blood Rage to me, where it was like, how have I not watched this? How have I not heard of this? How mm-hmm. did you hear about this? And what, like, was it it coming to Shudder that made you go, oh, yeah. Or is this one that you've always kind of wanted to get to? So um, these, uh, th- this film, like I said, uh, I first encountered it a long time ago um in a rental store and i uh and i rented it back then it fell out of my head and i wish i don't know so i did but the book is somewhere but there's a book by adam rockoff called the horror of it all um and he had written about it was in his top 10 what the fuck moments in slasher films and him describing the what the fuck moment that's in this movie was what reminded me i was like oh yeah what the fuck was that like i've seen that because he describes the ending scene he doesn't really just he doesn't describe really the plot points of the movie he just says in the end sequence of this movie this is what happens and then you forget about it that crystallized it in my brain where it reminded you of it and then you're remembering remembering something you know how it goes and then when I saw it on yes. Shutter, I was like, just before dawn, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, this is the movie where the guy, where the girl does the thing. And so I was, <laughs> I was really uh, into that. It kind of comes with uh, the territory of thanks to to Shutter and um, other horror streaming services, and also companies like Shout Factory and Arrow for releasing really weird stuff like this that was very early horror cycle shit. I had, um, I kept forgetting the names of them, but I have on Blu-ray here, The Prey, which we've done for the show, and also The Final Terror, which we, I'm showing it to you like I'm showing it to the audience. Uh, The Final Terror, which um, we were going to do, but, uh, you know, it didn't seem right for the show at the time. And, then so like these sort of like campers like if i were to subcategorize the sub sub genre it would just be like wet woods slashers where the woods kind of all look wet and things look very damp and dark because it's all natural lighting and the the killer is always just a guy 
it's just a dude. Um, and the, uh, or I suppose in the case of Final Terror, it's a creepy old lady um, with like survival skills. But yeah, like, and, and so it, it's kind of stuck in my mind that way. And I had noticed when Shudder had put on Just Before Dawn, it was a few weeks ago, like maybe a couple of months ago. And I kept thinking to myself, man, I'm going to rewatch this movie. I'm going to rewatch this movie. And I just never, I just never rewatched it. And then when you had suggested what should we do for the show, I I suggested it because I wanted to rewatch it. And I was like, this is going to force me to rewatch it, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm thankful for it because I do love these wet wood slashers. I mean, it's almost like a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre <laughs> because it is hillbilly horror, but the focus is not the decrepit farmland and the hillbillies and the struggle that they had keeping a stake on their land and other people um, coming on to it. There's always like a, a different focus in these wet wood slashers of the group of people and their mm-hmm. dynamic far more of a focus on that in these sorts of films, which I enjoy and the lush verdant surroundings mm-hmm. because you could film a hillbilly horror pretty much anywhere. You could film one in my backyard, your backyard at your cottage, wherever, but it doesn't have that, that, that wet woods look to it this Mm -hmm. lush misty gorgeous wildlife filled Mm -hmm. kind of like scary jungle look of a north american boreal forest Mm -hmm. it's the density more than anything right you're missing that that really really dense wood feel to it where you're looking at that and you're just like oh my god like trying to hike through that what a pain in the ass who would do this like what the fuck and they have picked a gorgeous spot. I suppose mm-hmm. it's filmed on location in Oregon. I don't know uh, yeah. much about Oregon. Yeah, that's where it was mostly filmed. It's, it's an absolutely gorgeous area with waterfalls, cliffs, rocky faces, mountains, mm. winding mountain roads, those dusty mountain trails that are overgrown with a canopy of green. So much verdant, fresh ferns everywhere. So it's oh, almost yeah. like it's green from the bottom up, this forest. It is not, it's rocky, yes, very much so. And we got our fill of rocky terrain doing the Hills Have Eyes series, mm-hmm. our two films. And so we, we're sick of rocks right now. There, are, It is a rocky terrain. There's lots of rocky things and mm-hmm. like echoing cavernous areas under waterfalls and really cool shit where they traverse through and rope bridges, all kinds of fucking shit. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the ferns and the greenness of the ground and the overhanging canopy, all these trees grow very tall yet very low. And then waterfalls, so much of a water feature in this film. It just mm-hmm. really has it all as far as your uh, little Lisa Simpson nature bug. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And they they're, they're, they throw in a few lines of dialogue that really try to make this uh the mountain itself feel much like a character the 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 mountain is presented as this unforgiving uh uh thing that needs to be respected and this um uh, like godlike almost and even the uh the killers in this film are presented as mountainous themselves even though they don't look that big to me but that being said, I'm pretty big. So this idea, almost like they're extensions of the mountains, golems or something, you've disturbed this area. And so these uh, you're raising the devils uh, or demons, this, this notion of um, 
haunted mountains. It's almost uh, like the, uh, the the Tengu from Japanese folklore. Uh, it's very, very interesting uh, a concept of the film. They don't dwell on it enough, though. If I were to have a complaint about this, it's like you did a lot of setup. But if I were to go back to The Hills Have Eyes, you have this whole notion by Pluto about the devil dog. And he like there's this through line of that entire movie of what this dog is to these uh, hill people. And 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 there's a really cool payoff, right? Like Pluto is literally afraid of this fucking dog. And what they've done is is kill an aspect of this dog. And, and perhaps it's like the hill people have more so than trespassed on a good old American family. It's that they trespassed on this dog. And that's and, and this family happens to be an extension of this dog as well. And so they've kind of brought this devil to themselves. I kind of wish that they had alluded more to that. They do have um, quite a lot of story surrounding this idea of uh, one of the campers owns this land. Like, it's not even a matter of, like, we're going up to the woods where we dare not travel. It's like, oh, I got a deed to this place. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Warren, not only does he have a deed to this place, although the forest ranger points out that mountains can't read. And the mountain doesn't know that. Mountain don't care. Um, which lends itself again to this mythology of the old uncaring mountain, much like the unforgiving sea that mariners often talk about. And whether you believe in the great old ones living deep underneath or not, the, the sea itself is a force to be reckoned with and a god Mm-hmm. here on our earth such is this mountain and many mountains uh, whether you believe in any other entities living in with or on this mountain um, the mountain itself is a force to be reckoned with and warren not only does he have a deed to this property and that's one sort of missed opportunity they don't really talk about him having ever like it seems that he's been there before but they don't really get into if he spent time there or what facet of his family lived there like they don't really get into that enough but Mm -hmm. warren is an accomplished mountain climber he has a carabiner on his belt loop in case you didn't notice because he's super surreal about the mountain climbing (laughs) i was gonna say that's what reminded me about the prey like the prey is predicated on these guys like we're gonna go mountain climbing and they basically just like go up and down like a cliff face they don't even get to a cliff face here like they're not really mountain climbing they're hiking they're camping but it's not really yeah. mountain climbing. <laughs> no, it's not really mountain climbing, but Warren does have an ethic about that's how you survive and do well. Mountain climbing is you become one with the mountain and that's mm-hmm. what you do as far as like Sherpas and the way they live in the and with the face of Mount Everest, something that we view as unconquerable for the most part uh, or a, a deadly, deadly curse on the fucking place. There are right. people that, that live and become one with that area. And that is his ethic of mountain climbing is you have to respect the mountain and become one with it. And that is how you traverse safely among this area. And so he does have this like ethic going into it. So we're, we're pretty much primed for, you know, something new, something quite different, actually, as far as wet wood slashers go, because Warren has a deed to the fucking place. They're not really trespassing. They've been warned by the forest ranger 
who's almost telling them that the place has a death curse and that they're doomed. Almost. <laughs> almost. He's not quite crazy, Ralph. But it's close. Mm-hmm. But he also is like, he knows where they are in, in, roughly. And he's sort of washed his hands of them as well, which is cool. I like the Forest Ranger character quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be pretty cool because our, our lead girl, Constance, or Connie, she knows her way around the woods as well. She's a, a mountain climber too. So mm-hmm. we've got like very believable people out there that should do this fairly safely. Before we really meet all of our people, we meet uh, two mountain folk, basically hunters, mm-hmm. Ty and Vachel. <laughs> Vachel, I I'm glad I'm glad and not glad that I had the subtitles on for this movie. Um, I'm glad because I can confirm that this person's name is fucking Vachel with a V. I don't know who, like, Vachel, where the fuck does that come from? It's a name I've never heard of. And we have a lot of very cool name people in my family, like August and Orville and things like that. There's very cool names within both sides of my family way back and currently. And old names, really (laughs) cool old names. Vachel, I had to stop and look it up while I was watching the movie because I couldn't understand what Ty was saying. Ty is easy. Uncle Ty. Ty. His name's yeah. Ty. Doesn't yeah. matter how you spell it. Ty. Rachel, though, I swore he was saying Rachel, and I was quite confused. Well, yeah, it's like it's like when they were naming him, did someone suggest Rachel and their dentures fell out at the same time? Like, what the fuck is Rachel? It's got to be an old name. We've just fallen out of use, not heard. Something in the Adirondack Mountains is like a common name, perhaps. I've just never heard it in my life. There is... Uh, another very old thing that I fucking love about this movie, and it is the church. This set is so fucking cool. I absolutely love it. It really evokes that there was a time, which also makes like, how do you have a deed to this land? Like, what are you talking about? There is a church here. There is a graveyard here. Not too far, a stone's throw perhaps from there, there is still an old farmhouse, probably one of the last families that still lives in this area. And and it, it speaks to, okay, at some point there was a settlement here, a village, and it was probably there for a hundred years as, and nothing ever developed around it. I mean, you look at all there, everywhere where there's people now. At some point, that was a hut, a couple of houses. That was a church was always what was, built by the communities once they moved into an area. And so this just stands as this monument to this town that clearly the sands of time or the forests of time, the mountain has reclaimed. The only thing that remains is this. I bet all those graves are from like 1860 or something like that. You know, I absolutely love this. And the first shot that you get that something is amiss that perhaps old Ty and Vachel are not long for this world is you see somebody peeking down in a hole in the ceiling. Very weird. Extremely weird. And they must have some sort of alacrity despite their size, because when Ty looks up and sees someone looking down through the hole in this dilapidated church within moments, they're gone and going outside, there's no one there. And Vachel was outside and would have seen somebody clambering up this church. So whoever it is is fleet-footed 
much like a mountain mm-hmm. goat themselves, I suppose. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about that area. It reminded me very much of a place me and my sister wanted to go uh, and take mountain bikes at one point, just because it's so picturesque. It is wet woods slasher territory for sure. It's in the middle of the Nipissing Township, and it's an old road that went through a settlement long before they built the main roads and highways that crisscross northern Ontario now. But there was a road called the Hard Scrabble Road because it was near impossible to get a wagon up. It was just a horrible road. And living out there was living the Hard Scrabble life because the ground, while fertile, was very rocky, like a mm-hmm. lot of the Canadian Shield is. But it's gorgeous and beautiful. And you can hike up there for like an hour. And all of a sudden you come across an old church, not unlike this one, overgrown off to the side of a dirt road and forgotten for the most part with a small cemetery nearby and all the stones are very old very very old gorgeous gorgeous setting although the difference being with the hard scrabble road is that people do go through that road as a shortcut between two other communities from time to time and there's people on four-wheelers everywhere all the time there are four-wheel trails all around Mm -hmm. so someone is traversing this area And it is sort of foothill mountainous and forest spring fresh and very like old gods kind of territory. (laughs) Very, very similar. But this, you get the idea. They're out hunting, Ty and Vachel. There's no one for miles. They have their truck and that's what got them there. Otherwise, it's hard to see a road anywhere. Mm -hmm. This um, is where we get our first kill. Uh, Pretty gory. The guy gets stabbed in the dick. The fucking blade comes out of his butthole. I was surprised right there. <laughs> I mean, sitting down to watch this, I was impressed and fell in love with it just from the title sequence alone and the sunset and the church because that's the first place we open up with in this gorgeous forest. And then a knife in the deck, huge machete through the deck. I mean, I was there. I was loving this. <laughs> and then I was like, is he going to rape the corpse? Is that, you know, looking at the guy? Because we do get a full frontal of the guy who did it right away. No mysteries here. Like, is there going to be blood on the front of his uh, overalls? Yeah. Because I I was just like, oh, man, is he just carving himself a new hole? Like, it has that vibe to it. I'm not even... It's. I'm so glad that you also thought that. Because I fucking was thinking that the very first time I saw this. And again, like, when I was watching these scenes... I, I was, you know, sometimes if uh, if uh, my partner knows that I'd seen a movie before, they'll be like, oh, does this, you know, obviously if there's like a cat or a horse or something like that, does this horse die? Does that cat die? I need to know. And I, I was like, I don't remember. Honestly, I don't think so. But I don't want to say no, just in case I'm fucking dead wrong. But this case, I was like, oh, man, is she going to fuck the horse? I don't remember. I feel like I would remember that. But I couldn't. Uh, put my finger on it, but he doesn't. This is where I don't, uh, if you guys want to like wait and see, they spoil this fairly. No, they don't really spoil it fairly early in the movie, but you get a sense about midway through what's going on here. However, I will warn you, if you watch this movie with the subtitles on, on shutter, you will be immediately spoiled as to what the, it's not even really a twist because at the end of the day, it's campers go up into the woods. They get fucking killed by somebody. But what you don't know is it's twins. But if you watch the the it with the subtitles, literally the opening, the first moment you hear one of the brothers growling, the subtitle says "twin 
brother growls, like twins growl or whatever the hell like that. So immediately my partner was spoiled on the, the, the fact that it's a twin movie, which was one of the reasons that I wanted you to see it because I know that you like twins. I love the idea of twins. And although they don't play it up to the point of using things like the psychic twin thing or the twins having sort of like being maladjusted naturally because of their twinness mm-hmm. uh, corrupting them to a certain degree, which is always just warped to me because any twins I know are just super awesome people. Times <laughs> yeah. two, right? <laughs> like that's it. But so it's funny to me, but it's uh they didn't play it up to the point that I would have wanted, although they do use the how did he get there so fast mm-hmm. sort of feeling several times and it's it's fun it's it's actually a fun use of it and they do allude to it which i had totally forgotten until you reminded me on the campers drive up the mountain they pass a lot of twins and remark on how many twins Mm -hmm. there are in this community that is Mm -hmm. at the base of the mountain yeah they say nothing about their twin being twins in warren's family which would have been really cool like there's a few little missed opportunities as far as story building here, but mm-hmm. I mean I'm not gonna blame writers from 1981, <laughs> but it would have been really neat if Warren would have been like just offhandedly like, oh I was a twin, but the other egg didn't make it or something like that. That would have been really cool. Oh, I was gonna say perhaps if one of the killers was Warren's twin brother that got left behind, and now Warren doesn't even know that he had a brother. And he's like, I got the deed to this place. I'm going to go check it out. And then his brother's like, after all these years, you know, like Hugo from The Simpsons, like he's just eating fish heads and like (laughs) he's evil now. Exactly, Bart and Hugo. I think that we really were tainted in a way going into this, not by all of the movies very similar to it, like say The Hills Have Eyes or Prey or The Final Terror, um, those sorts of movies, but Deliverance specifically, I think that might have been what tainted yeah. us watching the initial first kill with that huge machete. It is so visceral. It's quite gory, really. And it goes in through his dick. I mean, there's no, you can't <laughs> slice it any other way, no pun intended, that he's stabbed in his sex organ and out through another, mm-hmm. right? So... It, like deliverance just flashed to my mind it's as pretty if not prettier than deliverance because yeah. it's filmed in my point of view quite a lot better better film stock perhaps or something it's just yeah gorgeously shot yeah the version that they have on shutter has been beautifully restored i'm i don't know if there's a collector's edition because oh, spoilers i don't have a physical copy of this movie i watched it on shutter as well and mm-hmm. I don't like it seems like they were working off of a very meticulously uh, upgraded uh, film stock because honestly, I knew that this movie came out in 1981 before I started watching it, but I had to double check because I was like, fuck, man, like this really 81. Really? This looks so fucking gorgeous. Um yeah, and and uh, you know, sure enough, it's just it's just beautifully, uh, it's been beautifully restored. Um, so, what I wanted to like ask your opinion about the the stealing baby aspect of these fucking killers because we've seen in the Hills Have Eyes. I don't mean to keep fucking bringing up that movie, but we've seen in the Hills Have Eyes. Um, 
they're scavengers, right? They, they, they kill people. They fucking do that shit. And they allude in this film that also has a big camper in it that their camper has been robbed. No one seems very fucking concerned about that. They assume that it's the this disheveled Uncle Ty that they found on the road screaming about demons that they decided not to help. They tossed some sandwiches after him. Maybe those will help. But um, these guys not only rob the camper, but when they kill somebody, they're like, they take their clothes, like aspects of their clothes. Like, I'm wearing this hat and this vest. It doesn't fit me, um, but I'm wearing it anyway. What do you think about that? Is it just like, are they extreme scavengers? Is it trophy taking for their kills like what do you think it is is it some fun trick like otis firefly and who's your daddy is that what that is like they're like oh i i am now embodying your dead loved one you might think of that i'm wearing his blaze orange toque yeah because that happens two different times because like it'd be like imagine if i killed you and i took your hat that you're wearing and then somebody squinted at me and was like lydia like (laughs) don't look like you no it would not happen but they would immediately if they knew me well enough and i had a hat that was discernible as my hat look at you and be like what have you done with lydia exactly you're wearing her hat she's never without that hat yeah it's like hey remember remember when jonathan was 350 pounds and bald no oh well he's wearing jonathan's jacket it's got to be him exactly it's like could be anyone's things too, to a certain degree. Hunters, they all have blazed orange toques and plaid vests for fuck's sakes. Mm-hmm. He could, they also could have been ripped off the dead body of a hunter 10 years ago for crying out loud. But because it's happening in that time proximity that he's put on Vachel's outfit and approached Ty wearing it, or like there's a makeup scene later too which doesn't quite ring as true but it's the same sort of idea of extreme scavenging not only scavenging things kind of scavenging useless things and scavenging things so that you can put on a little show in front of the people who you've stole the shit from like it's very strange kleptomania they have going on but then later there's a scene with some aviator sunglasses their prescription aviator sunglasses we come to find out but they could have been anyone's aviators and me wanting to be in a hillbilly horror that has a dump site a lost and found for better for lack of a better term or a car graveyard there's going to be blaze orange toques plaid vests and aviator sunglasses all over the fucking mountain at this point so it could have belonged to anyone but because that person just died and you're wearing their blades orange toque, it is like a macabre sort of play you're putting on. It's disgusting. And I love it. Yeah. It's um, now that you're talking about like the display aspect of it or putting on a little show, it's very wrong turn. Those guys like to like put on clothes or skin or, or try to like, look, we're, we're regular folk. We're not inbred cannibals. Look at us. Ain't I the prettiest girl at the ball? Like, it's that fucking shit. That's exactly it. And it's like, they're nonverbal, these uh, killers. Or the killer that we meet. Because up until a certain point, it is the killer. Mm -hmm. The strangely fleet-footed killer. Mm -hmm. But up until a certain point, if you haven't watched it with subtitles, haha, poor Wes. (laughs) No fair. If you haven't watched it with subtitles and you haven't had that aspect of it spoiled for you, which isn't a huge spoiler because when it does come to 
light, you're just sort of like, oh, that explains that. It's mm-hmm. not like a soul-melting twist no. by any means. As I was saying, these twins are nonverbal. This killer is nonverbal. So is he putting on a show for his own, like, you know, because they don't get a lot of these things and it is, you know, the, the interest of exploring another culture through the clothes you've taken off their corpse or something like that? Or is it the shock factor? Because they're nonverbal, we don't really get an idea of their intent behind it and they don't parade necessarily they simply put these things on and then proceed to kill the next person basically or terrorize the next person uh are they necessarily looking to terrorize them further by wearing the clothes of their dead friends or family like it's really hard to parse out Mm -hmm. it seems that it's to me it seems that there is a performative aspect of that. There is a mockery of it. It seems that they're using the tools, a camera, or putting on the clothes, just to just to like. It does seem like mockery because they use they they use it to sort of just be like, ah, look how stupid you look in your stupid shiny clothes. Or perhaps it is a form of role play for them in which they're trying to. It's like if you were to drop a bunch of like shit in a monkey pen at a zoo and see how the the apes or monkeys interact with the material like would they be would they try to like wear clothes or would they try to mimic what they were seeing other how other people were using it and shit like that with no real understanding how it works it's not clear it's not even really clear how intelligent these people are they they know they know how to kill they're very light on their feet they're climby very climby and obviously they know the woods like the back of their hand. But other than that, it's hard to really part. They wear clothes. It's hard to see if they're they're like developmentally delayed of, at all or if that has something to do with, I was going to say inbreeding. We don't know that, but we could probably assume that there's so many twins in this, in the foothills that, I mean, they're all coming from somewhere, right? So if that is just a gene that's very prevalent in uh, a gene pool, well, it's going to be duplicated quite a few times um i don't know but what i do know is the gang is on this fucking camping trip to explore the uh, warren's newfound property and what i will say that unlike a lot of camping trips this one doesn't go awry immediately they encounter a couple of things that make it seem like perhaps they shouldn't be traveling up to this place there's a mysterious incident with a deer they encounter uh, a frazzled Uncle Ty who has just watched his nephew get murdered in front of his eyes. He wants help. But my advice to you, if you want help from strangers on a, a, a deserted road, maybe put the booze away and maybe stop howling about demons and just say my nephew just got murdered because it's not a demon. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a demon. Yeah. And even if you think it's a demon, you have to know how that sounds. It's like, you don't believe me. No. Nobody believes you. You're very drunk and you're talking about demons. One thing is not real. And the other thing is very obvious. You've been drinking. And so why would anyone believe you? Um, it's it's good that he doesn't like try to get any sort of like weird revenge. He really just wants help. But all of these th- all of that to say is they managed to camp fairly steadily for a couple of days, not without incidents happening, but the <laughs> these people let shit roll off their back in a way that I don't 
know if I would be able to do. One of the campers literally gets groped in the water by somebody and is upset about it, understandably. And since nobody else saw anything, oh, you know, that didn't happen. Like, it's not real. And yeah, okay, I just will listen to the radio, have a party, have some drinks. I guess I'm over it. I'll go to bed. It's no big deal. (laughs) And the main camper, Warren, whose property it is and who knows this land to a certain extent, I I get the feeling he was up there when he was like maybe 10 years old or five years old or something and remembers it vaguely. But his response to everything is you don't know that. Like someone goes missing. (laughs) Oh, they're probably in they're probably in trouble. You don't know that. They'll be right back. You know, you don't know that. Don't go there. Don't go there with that. Don't let your mind go there. Don't tell us that. Don't say that. Mm-hmm. You don't know that. That's his like canned response. Like someone grew up you in the water. You don't know that. Like, wow. <laughs> what a response. It's nuts that he would be so complacent to the point of it's, it's, it's a way of saying you're a liar without saying you're a liar. Like yeah. so-and-so is missing. We should go look for him. Don't talk like that. What do you mean? He's missing. He's literally not here. We don't know where he is. We should go find him. Like, you hear the whistle blowing because they have a whistle. They have like a, an emergency whistle handy. And if they hear it blowing or think they hear it blowing, you should go investigate it because someone's in trouble. That's the point of the whistle. But his response is like, oh, we'll just wait and see. You don't know. Like, don't say that he's in trouble. Like, don't. He's just in such denial. He just wants us to be an easy peasy little relaxing weekend i don't know really what the point of the weekend was except to go up there and see the the place perhaps like were they going up there to rock climb or was it like just a party i don't even clear on how long they were staying there <laughs> he kept referring to it warren that is kept re- he's like this come on guys this is an outing <laughs> the fuck does that mean it's an outing first of all an outing is like going like to like Hintonburg and get some gelato. That's an outing. This is a fucking full on fucking trip, man. You are gone for days. Also, the the wildest thing to me is that you know how in camper in, in camp slashers or wilderness or wet wood slashers as this one clearly is. What's everybody drinking? Beer. Fuck it. Bring along a bucket case of beer. These guys are pounding bottles of wine. Why do they all have their own bespoke bottle of wine? Is that a, like a, a late 70s, 80s thing, perhaps? I mean, there was a certain time, uh, specifically among my friends, where wine just became a cool, fun, easy, cheap thing to do. And there was often more bottles of wine than there were beer for a certain amount of time. And it's not just among us women folk who are supposed to, according to the internet, drink boxed wine like all get out. But uh, also in at family reunions which I'm reading a book called Harvest Home. And between Harvest Home and the Logan family here, it reminded me a lot of a lot of the older aspects of family on my mother's side and a lot of the areas where we lived. And the wine thing, I don't know if all those bottles had labels. And that to me reminds me of all the dandelion wine, gooseberry wine, blueberry wine, random fucking wines that my grandmother and a lot of her family would make. So is it that? Are are they, are they just on the cusp of being country folk themselves? Like they don't really smack of city folk. One of the, one of them does. Our photographer friend. Other than that, they do seem to be fairly rural minded kids that are 30. Oh man, Warren looks like he's 
fucking pushing 40, honestly. But the um, my thought was it looked as though we had um, my family made wine. And in the, the famous basement on Alta Vista Drive, we had a fucking whole area that was like this huge wine rack. Like it was like the, the back of a, a wall just had brr, brr, like fucking like wine there. And it looked to me like a lot of that homemade wine labeling, like very simple labeling with like an, like a, an italics sort of a title on it and i was like did did somebody like raid their parents wine rack like before they went on this trip is just a cheap alternative does warren own this camper or is this his parents camper like like these are the kinds of questions that i was raising because i just thought the the bringing of wine was so weird and i didn't know that it was an aspect of the late 70s early 80s like that you could be absolutely right i don't know i know that in my family like it was beer they were all beer drinkers my mom liked wine and for a while they got into like those old coolers like with like the tin foil labeling on the top of them like they look almost like miniature wine bottles i remember we used to have those around the house constantly but other than that like i don't remember i don't remember like people just bringing bottles of wine places no, and as far as I recall, being, what, six years old in 1981, mm-hmm. wine was a family event thing, mm-hmm. and it was what you brought to, like, barbecues and stuff, and mm-hmm. there was definitely a lot of wine around harvest or pickle making or whatever big kitchen and slaughter events there were around rural life. There was not wine when you were haying, and there was not wine when you were hunting, which mm-hmm. is more akin to what these guys are all about in this mm-hmm. particular film. That was beer. That was beer territory. You know, yeah. cold beer, beer while doing heavy labor, while yeah. traversing. Because you don't want to carry big glass bottles everywhere either. So it was like lots of cans saying. of beer. And the yeah. stubby bottles of beer that were like still popular then, mm-hmm. like you didn't carry much of them either. Like no mm-hmm. one drank the way as much of the way that they did here, unless it's a hunt camp scenario. In the camper, there's lots of room. You would think there would be cases of beer. Maybe it's also a refrigeration thing. They don't really get into what the power capabilities are or the uh, affluent capabilities are of this camper. Maybe they're Mm -hmm. without refrigeration and wine is not so bad, especially like red wine where it's like not has doesn't have to be chilled. You can chill Mm -hmm. a bottle of white wine in a river fairly well, but then you can keep beer cold in a river too. You can. And, you know, by the time you're into like, let's say you get a bottle of wine for everybody. It's five bottles of wine. Like, where are you? Who's carrying that? Yeah, I mean, like, fuck, man. Like, I went on a camping trip back in September and I brought some beers, maybe six. And let me tell you, like, fucking 20 minutes into walking with that, I was very, I was like, did I need to bring beer with me? Like, did I need to bring this? Like, fucking stupid, Wes. Like, it's, it's not light right so like it was just an aspect that i thought really weird here's another aspect that i thought was really weird i wanted to know your take on it since this is a first time viewing for you what do you think of the pacing of this film we start off it's a 90 minute movie so it's breezy it's not going to take all day for you to watch it but i couldn't help noticing 
really noticing this time, there is a huge swath of time where we are literally just watching people camp. Yeah, we really are. I thought you were going to ask me what I thought of Connie's dance moves because, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh-huh. They were dancing to the shittiest fucking music. And this is all part of the camping, so I will answer your question. Um, when they're driving up the mountain, we're treated to Blondie, Deborah Harry's gorgeous voice singing Heart of Glass. I was actually going to say, because they, they blew all their budget on that Blondie song. <laughs> I believe so. The next song that we hear is this garbage music that's blaring out of a pedally portable picnic player that they're dancing to, drunk on wine or whatever. It's disgusting. But some of the looks that the guys are giving Connie is they're trying to be like, oh, yeah, baby, <laughs> give it, do it, do it to me, baby, <laughs> or whatever the fuck people think. It was just so creepy. It was the creepiest fucking look. But anyway, uh, it's weird because juxtaposing this with the final terror. Where I'm like, oh my god, stab me in the temple. It's just people walking through the bush for most of this. Oh my god. <laughs> Pacing's quite similar. Where here, I'm like, yes, more walking through the bush. <laughs> you know, keep that knife away from my temple. I want to watch more of these people walk through the bush. I think it, the pacing is well done because there's dialogue mixed in that drives the plot along to a certain extent. While they may be just sitting around, setting up camp or getting ready for dinner... One of them tosses out the question like, hey, have you seen my makeup? Mm-hmm. That poses a mystery to us. So we're compelled to watch more. And they can spend the next 10 minutes going to check out the abandoned church and stuff like that. Because it's some locations I really want to revisit. They cross a rope bridge. So when it comes time that they're nearing the location that you semi-recognize that could be the rope bridge, and then, aha, here's the rope bridge. You're interested in watching these locations. It's not just unending, faceless landscape where every mm -hmm. tree and rock looks the same. They mm -hmm. do accomplish sort of a time and place and space that you recognize. It's like going through a haunted house film where you sort of start to recognize the hallways that lead to what rooms and stuff like that you sort of recognize with this that the darker forest is behind their campground the swimming hole is sort of in this relation to that waterfall that we saw and the rope bridge it must be over here so you sort of get the spatial idea of the area and i think that that helps so wherever whatever direction they're walking in the filming and the blocking of all of it really helps too because we're never really confused in this kind of samey wide open place so I really did appreciate the pacing. I felt it never lagged, even though if I were watching this not in the mood for a wet woods slasher, mm -hmm. it may seem slow to me. I'm mm -hmm. also really loving this verdant green and growing things right now because we're not in winter proper where I would really love to watch something like this and where I really love playing like RPGs that take place in verdant forest. And The Witcher is super fun at that time of year too because everything is fucking snowy so you can at least go into a forest i like being able to see a forest you know in the middle mm -hmm. of winter and it's fall it's not quite snowing here yet but it's getting close it's just nice to be reminded that everything was once green and growing <laughs> that's a really good point i hadn't thought about it because even when i was suggesting this movie and i and uh, we were watching it i thought to myself oh you know like maybe this was not the right time to watch this movie because it's so lush and green and it reminds me of not summer, but like September kind of reminds me of September or maybe March, like either very late summer, early fall or 
mid to late spring, that type of thing. Because everything's so wet and gushy. And I'm glad that it actually uh, was the opposite for you and you did enjoy, end up enjoying it. While all of these camping scenes are happening, we get other aspects of the plot because we know that these people are being stalked. We don't exactly know what all these people are waiting for, but they seem to be um, biding their time or they at least understand that these people aren't going anywhere. Even though the forest ranger and is telling them, don't go up to these them there hills. It's not fucking safe. You don't want to go there. You guys don't want to be going up to no old house, especially with the girls. It's uh, it's literally the same line except for the forest. Um, uh, you have this, this sense of foreboding that the characters do not fucking feel at all. Up to and including when their butt rock is playing and somebody shoots their fucking radio which is insane and hence we meet pa and ma logan and little mary cat it's nice that (laughs) you know so many films like this would just be campers versus the uglies and uh, big uglies come in ooga booga kill everybody terrorize everybody (laughs) end of the movie (laughs) it's true no you're right it's just very fucking funny in this we get a third element, which still makes me, compels me to be like, what is Warren's familial ties to this area? It is a small community. He must have been either part of this family in a tangential way or the other family in town because there wouldn't have been a big fucking town. But Mom, Pa, Logan show up warning them away with no real other explanation. They just warn them away. He says, you've raised the devil. And then he backs off into the shadows of the forest. What did you think yeah. of this? Like, ex- this is kind of a big thing. These are their neighbors, basically, who have popped mm-hmm. in and have nothing to say, but you've raised the devil. After shooting the radio. So what did I think of this? Um, So narratively speaking, what I think of this is it is the attempt to create some lore, rhyme or reason around these parts it's trying to let you know that what is in these forests is quantifiable and real and the this family that lives there wants people to know that they shouldn't be here and you shouldn't be here not because you know because we hate you for no reason it's because it's not safe for you here and as long as people stay away, then our dark secret uh, that we can just keep ignoring it. It's kind of that sweeping it under the, the rug type thing. It's it's kind of like this land has been forgotten. We've been forgotten. We want to stay forgotten. And it's within your best interest if we are forgotten. Uh, we won't say why. The other aspect of it is you need to have something needs to lay the foundation for this group of young people exciting young people because they so far have only encountered one person who told them not to go into the woods don't go up there you're gonna get lost you don't know what you're doing well i do know what i'm doing i have a lot of camping and mountaineering experience over a decade so i'll be fine plus i have a deed to the land so it's mine then you have the encounter of like a drunk old man that tells them get out of here, man. You're not like, like, or like, help me. There's a demon chasing me. Killed my brother. That does not get their attention. 
maybe a third group of people coming in here. This time we're shooting your butt rock radio and we are going to like tell you to get off the land. But there is one throughway through all of these things, which narratively drives me nuts. It's the fact that no one will plainly say not to go into the woods because there is murderous people up there who kill people. The, the um, ranger says not to go up there. Warren says that they're not afraid of critters and animals or whatever the fuck. And it's like, you don't have to worry about nature. That's not what you have to be afraid of. Dot, dot, dot. Then you have Uncle Ty. The demons are chasing me. Devil's chasing me. There's monsters. Like, he's just a kook talking about demons and devils and monsters. And then you have a farmer coming into saying, like, you raise the devil. Slink away into the darkness. It's enough that he has a gun and he shot their fucking radio. That would get me out of there. But practically speaking, why doesn't anyone just say what the fuck is going on? They keep just saying, get out of here. There's things you don't understand. What things? I don't know. Things. And then slink away, boys. Slink away. Doesn't make a fucking lick of sense. And that is like the only thing that I would say. It's like, do you blame the young people because they're being bullheaded and they won't leave? Or do you blame everyone around them, warning them without warning them? What are you trying to protect? Like, do you think, like, like you think the, these fucking murderous people in the mountains are going to fucking sue you for slander? Because you called them murderers? Like, what? why aren't you just saying it? I get, I get that in a very real world aspect where I've been on jobs twice in my life where I basically put my foot down when somebody would just allude to the way that they do something and my asking why and they'll be like oh you'll see you'll see when you've been here long enough you'll see and i'm like no tell me exactly why this is done this way or why you treat this client that way or why you let this client do those things like i want to know the intricities of all of it right now as if i've been here five fucking years i'm not gonna wait and see don't be <laughs> that mean that is a horrible cultish way to look at a job and no wonder people don't last here if you've got an attitude of, oh, if you've worked here long enough, you'll find out. No, tell me right mm -hmm. now, because this is my job. This is, I need to understand why these things work. I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth because you're being some sort of weird control freak about this. No. So yeah. with I... meeting the forest ranger, I would have been a little, like wanting a little more clarity. It's his job to be clear with people about what the risks are. Like, are there rattlesnakes? Is that what it is? Is there like an infestation of black widow spiders? Like, what do you mean the, the creatures aren't what I need to be afraid of? Like, are there bear traps and sinkholes? Like, what the fuck? Like, it's his yeah. job rock, rock slides. to be clear. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's one of those tropes that you, you need to get the young people there. You need to get them scared. But, you know, what's a great, what's a, a, a great film? Uh, speaking of Shudder and speaking of things that are very Canadian, uh, Rituals, which I know I've mentioned you, Lydia, like fucking 10 different times. But uh, Rituals is a film that's another wet woods slasher where the men go into the woods on a trip and they have no idea what the fuck is stalking them. They have no idea why. And through and, they, and they're completely isolated. They have no outside help. There is no way to communicate with anybody. And through clues 
like an investigation, they slowly start figuring out what is going on and why a person is stalking them. To me, that was the most practical way to continue the sense of isolation, because this is not um, a place that seems as isolated as you would assume. They know immediately that there's other people around. It's almost like um, that slasher movie, like, don't go into the woods. Don't go into the woods. There's like 8,000 people in those fucking forests. Like there's hikers and campers and killers and, and law enforcement. They're just crawling all over the place. And so you don't really get a sense of isolation. But um, in in this film, they have like neighbors. Like there's literally like, I don't know how far away that farmhouse is, but it can't be that far away, right? No, Maricat, the daughter of the Logans, just pops around the forest all day barefoot. So she can't get too, she pops around the forest all day barefoot. So like she can't get that far in bare feet all day long. Like she comes down to that river to sing and wash her face or whatever it is that she's doing. So it's got to be like the local watering hole. So they can't be that far away, really. It doesn't seem to take them long. It's not like she has been away from her house all day. It's not like she's been away from her house all day either because her parents would probably flip out if she was gone all day. So like they can't be that far. The ranger doesn't seem too, too far. Although when they encounter Ty on the road... Sort of like, let's pretend it's the halfway point between the ranger and the rope bridge, which is sort of mm-hmm. the halfway point between the ranger and where they're camping. They don't, mm-hmm. they're reluctant to turn back to drive mm-hmm. Ty to the ranger because they're afraid that, I guess it's midday. It seems to be midday. The sun seems overhead. And I know I'm ascribing mm-hmm. way too much logic to the time, but they say, I don't know if we'll make it to the camp spot before nightfall if we turn around and drive mm-hmm. him so it seems to be like super far between like the ranger and them mm-hmm. so i don't know and it is like because at the very very beginning where ty and vachel have taken their truck in their truck gets crashed by the killer uh they just roll it into a tree and that makes their <laughs> their truck yeah. useless there's no way to get out vachel seems to think or Ty seems to think that he's Ty seems to think he's going to be walking all day and he's trapped there forever. So it's got to be like mm. super remote and super far, but they're not really trapped there because the camper is not incapacitated mm-hmm. that we know of. <clears throat> they definitely drive the camper, sorry. They definitely drive the camper to the point in which the wheel starts spinning. There's too much um not silt, but there's too much um Debris and like brush clay, on the Clay, mud, and, and muskeg, I guess that we would call it. Yeah. Uh, so the camper, and the camper's just too heavy, so they're just starting to spin their wheels. And it seemed like a pretty narrow road. Like, they're going to have to, like, drive in reverse for 30 minutes, it seems like it's going to be, that type of situation. Um, I don't know how they would turn the camper around. Those things are not, like, the most all-terrain vehicles. But um, it seems like, I, if I were to give... If I were to give it a time frame, I'm going to go by my my last camping trip. It was from the ranger station, you know, to where we to where we actually parked the car. You know, it was about a 30 minute drive and to walk a 30 minute drive will take you some time. If so, if something happened with the vehicle, uh, that would be enough. But then even from where we parked the car, the hike to the campsite was probably another 
15 to 20 minutes, maybe more. And depending on how much fucking shit you have with you. So, you know, all that combined, like you had to really like, okay, it's this, it's this amount of time we need to go. I need to go back to the car and get some firewood. You know, you need to time everything out to make sure you're accommodating for not just the drive to the, to the sheriff station, but also where you get out of the car. And now we have to go across this, this extra like bit of hiking and, you know, the difference between 10, 15 minutes uh, could be pretty bad. I mean, pop, setting up tent and your camping gear in the dark wouldn't be so bad nowadays. But back then, they had the old style tents with like the fucking metal poles that you all had to like string together and shit like that. It was a whole ordeal. So, yeah, I don't know. But it doesn't seem that wide a circumference of, uh, of area that I think that it is. They certainly don't seem isolated to me. But even if they aren't isolated, these people do not seem fucking shaken by anything. They can get a good night's sleep no matter what the fuck is happening. And to the point in which, you know, uh, Constance is saying, maybe we should go now that this guy shot our radio and told us to leave. And Warren just has this attitude of, eh, I own the place. I'm not going anywhere. Even though 30 seconds earlier... When Jonathan suggests that Warren shows him the deed, Warren says, well, I don't think this guy cares about a deed. You know, and I agree. I don't think he cares about a deed because it's the woods and he's holding a gun and you're not. Yeah. I think that there's sort of a lost opportunity in there to either make Warren really stand his ground in in a more believable manner instead of just like, don't talk like that. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. They'll come back. It's fine. Yeah. You know, about his friends being missing the next day or, you know, trying to talk to the farmer in a neighborly way, perhaps that would probably help instead of just like, okay, they're sneaky Pete. Um, I wish they would have given Paul and Ma Logan a few more lines that would have been helpful, too. But and maybe Mm -hmm. something to like just reinforce Warren's stick to itiveness with wanting to stay there, because, no, none of them are really phased. If my makeup went missing, not that makeup is important to bring on a camping trip. I mean, yeah. let's be You never know real. who you're going to encounter on the woods. It could be cute. Yeah, that's the line <laughs> in this film. Wow. It's it's funny, too, because it comes back later and it's, it's, it's kind of funny. But um, the fact that her makeup is missing is kind of a big thing, unless you're that much of a hot mess that you would have misplaced stuff. But right away, she thinks someone would have taken it. She blames it on woodland creatures that would have taken her makeup, which is just like weird. But if things are missing in a fairly tightly controlled camp site and they have like limited resources, they didn't bring a whole shit ton of things in. They know where their six plates are and their six cups are. If one goes missing, that's sort of important makeup maybe not be so important but that it's missing is important so mm-hmm. they they just brush that off if they're missing clothing and stuff they would have just brush that off at that point i'd be going to check and see if the camper hasn't been sabotaged the camper they they the, on the first night they say oh yeah I, the camper was robbed um they took most of the booze and our food yeah i mean like uh should we be worried like mm-hmm. Like, they robbed the camper. It kind of reminded me of, like, back in the day with my cottage. Like, you know, now, like, my cottage was heavily robbed earlier, like, a, like maybe almost two years ago at this point. Um, and it was really, really bad. They took a lot of very valuable things. But before then, uh, people would break in to the cottage 
in the off season constantly, usually just to sleep. Or, like, you know, they could tell, like, oh, you know, the, the window on this side looked like it had been forced open a little bit. Or the door looked like it had been forced open again and stuff had been moved around or blankets had been taken out and a bed clearly slept in. My parents, my dad was just like, oh, someone uh, broke into the cottage while we, well, during the off season. I was like, oh, he's like, yep, what are you going to do? Like, just nothing. Never gave a shit. And, like, that was, like, this type of attitude where they're just like, yeah, our camper got broken into. Our food got stolen. Um, my makeup got stolen. I was like, okay, wait a second. The camper got stolen. The camper was robbed. Our, the majority of our food and alcohol, alcohol less important, but our food? Like, we need yeah. that. Like, how long are we yep. staying here? And 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 so I would be advocating, like, okay, let's go home. And then it's like a guy's like with a gun shows up and says, well, get off the land, like leave. I'd be like, uh, OK, well, let's go. And I was like, OK, we're going to sleep on it and we'll leave in the morning. No, nah, they're not going to leave in the morning. Like and and then, and then she's like, yeah, my makeup got stolen. I was like, OK, so people are stealing our shit. Somebody has a gun. They're telling us to fucking leave. I want to go home. Nope. And said they're going to go frolic in the woods. But Jonathan, our regular old prankster, our original prankster is going to go frolicking where he dare not travel. He's going to find a, 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 a babe in the woods. A babe in the woods. And she is pretty adorable. Maricat has quite obviously stolen the makeup because she's got it all over her face like a child. And it's kind of adorable. And she's not doing it in that, like, you know do I look good to you city boy kind of way? She's not doing it to like seduce him. I don't think she understands the link between makeup and seduction and, and the female wiles at that point at all. It's just, it's, it's little kid time, make believe pantomime of what mm -hmm. mommy's doing kind of thing. And not her mommy, but the, the females and the camping on the camping trip, putting on this makeup just as like fun, like clownish fun or something experimentation and exploration uh, it's it's very weird looking she looks very weird it's creepy actually yeah yeah where jonathan is just like hey there little girl what's your name because <laughs> he's on guard but he's also doesn't recognize her as a threat and she's not not really running away she's scared because she's being caught with stolen items but she's just like uh not much. <laughs> My name's Maricat. She feels him up a little bit and does give him a kiss. It seems like she's mimicking what she was watching with. We've been not mentioning the, the character of uh, Megan, I believe her name is. She is the uh, uh, the makeup obsessed. Um, she's a, a, a redhead. She likes to uh, get dolled up. She definitely seems to be the one least comfortable camping. She's not complaining, but she definitely is still like, I am not leaving the creature comforts of city life behind me. I'm going to wear makeup. I'm going to make sure I look pretty. Um, she seems to be there with Jonathan, but I don't know. Cause there's a scene later on where I'm just like, she also hits on his brother. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a brother until that scene. But when Jonathan goes chasing after this girl who gives him a smooch and just like, you know, oh, chase me, chase me. It seems like this weird role play. It's off to, um, back to the rope bridge you know when you first see that rope bridge you're like this, this is a set piece like this something's gonna happen at this rope bridge and sure enough jonathan meets 
our uh, devils, our raised devils. The first time um, that the this killer exhibits something that could be considered supernatural, and that to me, more so than anything else, that to me is why they would have included the aspect of the twins. They wanted it to seem bizarre um, that there was these people, this person that could seemingly be in multiple places at once could seem to teleport or have this supernatural alacrity. Something akin to, um, remember that uh, book, uh, what was it, The Eaters of the Dead, uh, that Michael Crichton book? Uh, it became the movie The Thirteenth Warrior. Uh, yeah. The yeah. idea of this, like, they thought these were like demons or monsters in the forest, and it turns out to be just a massive tribe of people who worshipped bears and they ate people they were cannibals and stuff like that and it, it, i think they were kind of going for something not saying that they were mimicking because this movie is older than that book but um mm -hmm. i'm saying that it's that idea of like trying to make something seem supernatural when in reality there's a logical real world explanation for it you got yourself uh, evil twins it's how one can be on one side of the river and the other one is on the other side of the river Jonathan stuck in the middle. When the rope bridge gets stuck, Jonathan is not without his devices. A, he's a pretty strapping young lad. B, he's got himself a whistle, an emergency whistle. But, uh-oh, he's a prankster. So it's a boy who cried wolf. It's, it's the, that's the one thing that happens in horror movies. Like, why does, why does somebody always got to be a prankster? Why does there got to be somebody that likes to play, play practical jokes on their friends? You know, Connie specifically admonishes Warren for doing a prank in the woods, trying to scare them earlier in the film. Cause she's like, this is the middle of the woods in the middle of the night. You know how fucking dangerous this is? Like I could have stabbed you. And he's like, Oh, Jonathan put me up to it. Blah, blah, blah. And you would think that, Warren would have the presence of mind to just be like, you're right. It is pitch blackout. We shouldn't be scaring people in the middle of the night because accidents can happen and we're too far away to get medical attention if they do. But because it's a horror movie, they got to be pranksters. And it's so when things happen and people go missing, nobody takes it seriously. And when you hear that emergency whistle, no, he's just joking around. It's a joke. Yeah. He could be in trouble. Oh, don't say that. You don't know that. Okay. So now on one hand, we have a prankster that is Boy Who Cried Wolf. And we also have this like super accusatory person who's anti-hysterics. And mm -hmm. not even to toss around the word hysterics lightly because I'm not going to peg him totally as a misogynist woman hater. But he kind of has that thread <laughs> running through him of anything a woman says is just hysterics. Well, he's very patronizing to her. Yeah, he doesn't quite go to the level of slapping her across the face and shaking her, telling her to get a hold of herself. That's like <laughs> five years previous in film history. But like... Oh, yeah. That's like the Captain Kirk. He's towing that line. He is towing that line. Yeah. It is like so aggravating to me, pranksters in real life, let alone in horror films, because you just know they're going to get it. And he gets it good. And this is that moment where you're like either... There's more than one guy out there because this guy is clearly on the other side of the rope bridge, cuts the rope bridge down, and then is clearly on the other side of the rope bridge. So there's either two of them or there's another way to get across. You're right. Because because these people are so uh, knowledgeable about the forest, they could know something we don't. 
They could know a secret path to get across there quickly that doesn't involve taking the rope bridge. But uh, eventually, while all this is happening, by the way, you know, we have Megan and Daniel that go off into the woods while uh, Jonathan meets his fate. A lot of the people are separated. You have both Warren and, and Connie like off uh, catching fish. Um, there seems to be uh, uh, there's a very key scene there that I actually really like where they capture a fish and Connie says, can't you let it go because the fish is pregnant and Warren sort of reluctantly lets it go. They do a lot of nature shots around that when they let the fish go and then uh, the characters start to kiss. I was always just like, is that why they live at the end of this movie? Because they showed mercy to a creature of the mountains. Like, I was like, that would be very poetic if they just sort of leaned into that a little bit more. But they don't. But that's just in my headcanon, as the kids say. In this is where we have Daniel going back to the church. Uh, it's kind of wild because you think, oh, did, did one of the killers move that body? And they did. But they didn't move it really all that far. But far enough, I guess, that nobody notices the hand that is, like, on top of the pew. It's pretty dark in there. I know they're shooting it in a way that we can see what's going on in the church. But it is it would be pretty dark in there. So I could see why they miss it. But Daniel's poking around taking photos. With a photographer's mm-hmm. eye, you'd think that he'd notice that stuff. And he's looking engaging light and dark while he's mm-hmm. poking around in there. Because he seems to understand the camera he has in his hands. Which is a old-fashioned SLR, not a digital camera at all. So you got to understand light and dark and F-stops and all that tomfoolery. And then when Megan comes in, she gives the place a really good look. Like she is like literally looking all around the whole room as much as she can see and drinking it in. Uh, She doesn't see the hand on the pew (laughs) belonging to the dead guy at all. Let me ask you this, Lids. You are a goth photographer... How do you feel about the graveyard photo shoot? It is, wow. They have reinvented Hipstagram in 1981. <laughs> How did they foresee Hipstagram being such a thing? They All they had to do here is pull out a Polaroid and they would have been Hipstagrammers. Totally. It is so... It's cute. It's adorable. And it ties nicely and neatly into our previous episode on Ginger Snaps, where it's all about goth photography. The only thing they didn't do is go to a graveyard. Here we have a graveyard. No goth for miles. But she's posing with flowers outside of this gravestone. And it's too colorful. It's just way too colorful. Maybe he's loaded with uh, black and white film. I don't know what film he has in his camera. Because black and white film, then we're on to something. That was what I was hoping for. I was thinking to myself the exact same thing. I am not uh, a goth. I am a goth well-wisher. I I, I circle around it. But um, so when I was looking at that, I was like, it's fucking, it's going to look like a fucking Donovan album cover. It's not going to look gothy at all. It's it's going to, um, it needs to be in black and white. And, And it was funny when I was looking at her playing dead, cartoonishly playing dead she's like i'm dead my tongue is out like i was like if the only thing that could save this photo is if it's in black and white (laughs) 
Exactly. And I would have liked to, to see a blue light filter over top of it as well to deepen some of the reds um, and kind of kill the colors of the daisies she had in her on her chest or whatever. Because, yeah, it was very cartoonish, very Bugs Bunny uh, pantomime of deadness. It just didn't, it wouldn't look dead. They wouldn't be creepy photos. They would be fun, lighthearted photos like the rest of the time that they're having out here in this graveyard. But it is kind of cool because if you're thinking of it in terms of like, we went out camping and near the campsite, there was this old abandoned church in a graveyard. It's fucking awesome. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. But yeah, they don't spend too much more time there because our buddies, the twins, are on hand. They seem to be everywhere you want to be. <laughs> um, this is where that moment where I was talking about where, like, imagine if I stole your hat and I was wearing it and I just, like, lumbered up to Chris, let's say, and he, like, squinted at me and was like, Lydia, is that you? I'm like, no, you idiot. How am I possibly Lydia? I'm, like, three Lydias. Like, <laughs> but and that's what this is. It's, like... One of the, the killers is wearing Jonathan's fucking jacket. I was remarking to my partner while we were watching the movie. It looks like Jonathan's clothes are off the rack. It looks like he, he this is the first day any human being has ever worn them. It was it was like he bought a, a camper costume at Spirit Halloween. And, uh, and now you have his jacket barely, it looks like a, child's vest he looks like magilla gorilla or something wearing this stupid fucking jacket and and since daniel doesn't have his uh prescription aviator sunglasses on he can't see that it's not his brother like i was like okay i'm fucking i have the exact same level of vision as daniel when i take my glasses off i am not fucking fooled by who is who i can tell who people are, even though they're that blurry. He is clearly bald. He is clearly 350 pounds. He's clearly barely squeezing on that fucking jacket. And instead, him and Megan decide to like, we're going to show him for spying on us. I'm going to make out with my brother's girlfriend. Isn't that going to be a funny prank? I was like, what are you, what is with you guys? And sure enough, Daniel gets impaled by this machete and, you know, like you said, this machete rules. It is a gorgeous, fucking brutal looking machete. Yep, it really is. It's like a rip saw kind of machete. It's a machete, mm-hmm. but the back has had teeth ground into it, like mm-hmm. a rip saw mm-hmm. on the back of it. So you get them going in and you get them going out, don't you? <laughs> when Megan realizes that this is not her boyfriend or guy she was smooching in the woods because it doesn't really seem like they're together although they seem to be like this is my wood hookup but it's not my girlfriend if that makes any sense it she runs back into the church then she sees the body of old vachel that's been sitting there the whole time and that's when we really are going to be spelled out that these are twins because as she's hiding from one of the killers who's got the camera and Jonathan's jacket and just like taking photos and shit like that. You see the original brother go behind her. And that's the one that's wearing Vachel's Hunter's toque and um, little tiny vest. And um, that's where, and that's again, where I, immediately my brain goes to like, so what are these like 
what are these like fucking woods guys going to do to this girl? This is the first time that they've cornered a girl by the herself. Like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then, oh, okay. They're just going to kill her. Well, he like, I don't know if he's really taking photos, but he's like pretending that he's taking photos while the girl is getting murdered. I feel kind of bad in a way like you do when you're watching a Rob Zombie movie and someone buys a chicken and people are asking like, are you, are you going to fuck that chicken? Yeah. And you feel kind of bad because part of your mind is like, oh, I bet he gets that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I worry here that we're like, you know, too much Rob Zombie, too much deliverance, you know? Yeah. We're worried that these guys have it in them to not only abuse the corpse or Vachel, but they got a girl cornered, two big lumbering bush dudes who are violent, nonverbal dudes alone in the forest, you know. We're also tainted by the plight of sexual assault within our countries and every country's military mm-hmm. for uh, centuries. So, like, that sort of stuff really plays on us. Yeah. And we fear very it, much. It's it's like we're the, the teenagers from Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And, and they're Tucker and Dale. I only recently watched that. Oh, I really? I only recently watched that. And that yeah. <laughs> I love that I movie. always thought it would be, like, a more comedy than horror, right? Yeah. No, that's a violent movie. <laughs> it's great. It's a very violent movie. And it is it is very appropriate. And it is... You know, very interesting that Tucker and Dale's take on that the other people think that they are like inbred hooligans and stuff. (laughs) And they're just regular guys for the most part. Yeah, I figured you would have liked that movie because like it's, it's probably what people think like, oh, North Bay, eh? Like, and you're just like, listen, man, shut up. Okay, I get it. It's 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 very rural Ontario, but you don't got to be a dick about it. I can read. <laughs> and also at the aspect where people will make jokes, like being having lived out in the country when me and a friend were driving another friend who had never been on a road that didn't have streetlights before. We drove out to the countryside, and as soon as that person realized that there were no streetlights, they started getting very nervous, and we're just like, what do you mean there's no streetlights out here? And we laughed at them, and then we started making jokes about how we're going to cannibalize them or whatever, because <laughs> you, you just got to go there. It's just funny. When Megan and Daniel do not return, Warren and Connie go back after they found Jonathan's body, we got to find our friends and I, they're probably like, we got to officially go. Like we got to get the bug out of here because one of our friends is dead. They have not shown up. This is especially where Warren doubles down on this. Like they're lost. They're not dead. Connie is like, they're dead. They are fucking dead. I have been uneasy about this place this whole time. And even though I'm an experienced camper, something's wrong. These people are dead. Like we got to get the fuck out of here. That's where, they, I guess they knew all along where this fucking house was. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. It's not clear how they find it or really how long it took them to look for it. But they could probably guess that this family is not too far away. But they approach the farmer again. And the farmer again is just like, they want to know for clarification. You said we'd raise the devil. What did you mean by that? And the farmer's like, I don't know anything about that. But you're raising the devil. I don't know what you mean, but you're raising the devil. (laughs) Which is hilarious. The forest ranger is hot on the trail. He Mm -hmm. has mounted his 
trusty steed and is making his way to where they had said they were camping because one of them lied to him and said they're going to be at this particular lake, Mm -hmm. I guess, an easy to find landmark. So he has gone there first. But we have, we can hold out hope now that some sort of help is on the way because the forest ranger is making his way from there, just up the mountain, sort of generally following whatever paths there are, hoping to find them. Mm-hmm. So at least there is somebody out there sort of looking for them. At the same time, Warren isn't quite as flipped out. It's starting to get dark, though. It's, it's Night has fallen. They have just until dawn <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> when Forest Ranger goes to visit this uh, rural family, this is the first time that the that old pa comes out without his fucking shotgun and... Basically says he hasn't seen any kids. He doesn't know what you're talking about. I suspect the whole time when you're watching. Oh, you know what? Let me ask you this then. Did you kind of figure out that it's the old, they're not in on it, but they like have a tie to these killers? From just years of watching stuff like Wrong Turn and mm-hmm. reading like this Lee Mountford is a, is a writer that has written quite a few of these and reading uh, Richard Lehman books and stuff like that where and having just a love for this hillbilly horror specifically mutant families i really love that sort of stuff yeah you sort of assume that whether it is kin to them or not they know what they know exactly what's fucking going on they're Mm -hmm. either the cause of it or they are have some sort of bargain with them where they remain unscathed it's one of the two and it's and it always always is so i just assumed that they knew exactly what was going on or somehow lived outside of the notice of these two killers in the forest <laughs> yeah. somehow and just didn't want attention drawn to them and sort of had a just don't look kind of attitude about it because they had been left alone up until now like an uneasy truce or alliance or something like that we don't bother them they do their own thing, and in turn, they don't bother us. And no, we find out um, because the, they basically, no, no, we don't know anything about that. Um, the daughter has the conscience, and she, like, don't you go against this family. They're our kin. They're your brothers, this, that, and the other thing. And then she goes after the, um, I keep wanting to call him a sheriff, but he's a forest ranger. Um, he go after the forest ranger and then tells him, okay, I will show you where the campsite is. And uh, the ranger, the girl, was it Mary Cat? And uh, get up on old Agatha. That's the name of the horse. I, I had suspected that. I was like, maybe maybe the the guy's a big fan of Agatha Christie. And he likes mysteries and, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's why the horse is named Agatha. That would make sense. And that would fit very much with his age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Like, I when you're watching this film, there's a there's a the thing that reminds me the most about Prey and this film is that that also has a forest ranger coming to save the day. Like basically, when all the murdering is happening and all the turmoil with the camper characters is happening, you cut to like this forest ranger coming up the mountain here to save the day. The difference is, is in Prey, that fucking guy gets killed <laughs> and the final girl gets like whisked away to a, ca- a, a, a cave. In this, the fucking forest ranger fucking kills Toot Sweet, the murderer. Like when Connie is attacked by this hulking brute and all of a sudden he, he's coming in for like the, I'm gonna kill you. 
swing. He gets shot and dies. And she's like in a fetal position, terrified. Very surprising. Yeah. It is very surprising. And it's what you expect, though, from a guy that is as good as his job as this ranger and is, you know, in tune and just in the nick of time. You know, it's got sort of a, a feel of old cop and old Western movies. And this actor has been in all sorts of stuff yeah. at this point and afterward. So it's just what you expect from that. And that could have been a contractual thing, too. Like, I don't want to be a buffoon. <laughs> I am like this upstanding actor, a well-known actor. Mm-hmm. I'm, this, I'm the name and I'm the face in this mm-hmm. film by far. So I have to save the day to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But Connie had mentioned throughout the film... Uh, after the first like panic moment, she she was frozen. She just stood there. She didn't grab the knife when something bad happened. When the guy shot the radio, she's like, I, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I was frozen with fear. And that's not like me. And things like even her like um, hesitation with a lot of outdoorsy stuff. She's questioning herself, like, what is what is wrong with me? Why am I not reacting? Why am I not this woman of action like I normally am? What is it that has me so paralyzed out here? Her paralysis comes to a swift end when it is truly life or death. It really is because she goes through this weird, I don't say a weird transformation, but when you first meet this character, she's quite bundled up. She's head to toe denim. She has her hair tied back. And very slowly over the course of the movie, layers of clothes start coming off. Her hair goes down. She starts wearing the smallest shorts known to man. And then after one of the killers is murdered and everything seems to be in the clear, the forest rangers going back, they are, um, you know, they're going to, they're packing up their shit. They're getting ready to go um, or waiting for help or whatever it is they're doing. She, like, all of a sudden starts putting on Megan's makeup. And when she shows up, her hair is down, her makeup's all done. And you're like, what is this? Like, like, is this supposed to be some sort of reclaiming femininity? Is it supposed to be something like, is she losing it? Is she, is she like, you know, Megan was doing makeup and she was way braver than me. And maybe I should be more like this. Should I be like, what is the message here? I'm not, it's not clear to me what they're getting at with this. No, it's not really clear to me either. I know that like the camping and outdoorsiness and fresh mountain air has very different effects on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And some women just click with it and they become 10 times more beautiful when they haven't had a bath in six days or whatever. <laughs> uh, it just works for them. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, they shed clothes as they go through mm-hmm. their camping excursion. And some women, uh, and I usually fall into this group where you get filthier and dirtier and more miserable and you put more clothes on because you just want to keep the stink in, I guess. I don't know. Or something. But it's partially that, I think. And and like you're saying, the uh, Mary Cat's barefoot in a little tiny dress and she gets on fine out here. Mm-hmm. My friend had very few clothes on, bikini top, if anything, and makeup. And she got on fairly well she was the one that went for the knife she was the woman of action so to speak mm-hmm. um so it, like maybe that's part of it or losing her mind like it's really hard to tell i i don't really know because there's no real intellectual or philosophical intellectual or philosophical clues going into her transformation when we see it come to full fruition where even warren 
is like, well, look at you, (laughs) crazy lady with the eyeliner and the lipstick. So this begins the sequence that we were alluding to, the what the fuck moment, according to Adam Rockoff's in the book, The Horror of It All. The thing that stuck with me most of this film, um, there's no really other way to say it other than the fact that they are attacked. Warren and Connie are attacked by the remaining brother, the killer. And this is the one that was the first killer we technically saw, the one that is wearing Vachel's hat and vest. So the one that killed Jonathan, and I'm guessing put on the aviators and like hung him up like it was weakened at Bernie's. I'm guessing that guy is the one that's dead. This one attacks them both. Now, Warren gets that uh, gory machete to the body, and he's not killed, but he's wounded. Meanwhile, I don't know how else to fucking describe this. Like, Connie is attacked, and it looks like he is planning to crush her like a fucking boa constrictor. It's like a bear hug of doom. And he crushes her so completely that, like, she starts bleeding from her mouth, but she wriggles free and manages to turn around. And then she proceeds to shove her entire arm down this man's throat to the fucking elbow, and he chokes to death on her arm. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The old arm choke. Yep. Being there. Is this the only slasher movie, fuck subgenres, you have a a fucking giant behemoth killer versus tiny final girl? Do we have any other example where the final girl, girl bosses so hard that she kills the killer with her bare hands? And as my partner pointed out, not plural, bare hand. Yeah, one single bare hand down the throat no i can't think of anything quite like it i mean we've seen um women attack larger men and get the upper hand one way or another sometimes there are uh typically going for the eyes like things that you're taught in self-defense classes Mm -hmm. which would have been popular at this time too so she would have taken those there's no self-defense course where they say if all else fails jam your fist down their throat as hard as you can i mean i've seen this as a tactic for uh, dogs, when dogs or other animals are attacking you, bears, you can try try choking them, grabbing their tongue and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Usually makes them back off. So maybe that's part of that sort of wildlife training. But they don't talk about it. They don't drop that hint anywhere. We get no hint that this is coming. And that's what really adds to the what the fuck moment. I really do like, and I wondered while it was happening, not knowing what was coming at all, where... He is holding her so tightly and she just gets that second win of energy and is thrashing and kicking and elbows and knees flying. It's a wonder she didn't kick him in the nuts, but like that must have been hard for that actor just to hold on to her at that point because she was going fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. That it ends with her just plunging her arm in there and they filmed it so really well. Like, mm-hmm. She doesn't pull anything out, though, except her hand. She doesn't, like, grab his heart and tear it out of him. She doesn't, like, grab his trachea or a chunk of spine, tongue. You know, nothing comes out, really, that we can see with it, which is where you expect it to go. But it's bad enough that she literally killed a guy just jamming her arm down his throat. That's (laughs) 
mental. I love it. I fucking love this sequence so much. And then you have this like, it's so fucking powerful. Like if, if somebody wants to like feel, you know, if somebody wants to feel empowered, uh, particularly, you know, if you identify as someone who's smaller or, or a woman or somebody who's been victimized by someone larger than you or something like that. To watch her like straddling this huge guy while he chokes to death on her arm and then pulls it out. It's covered in blood, but you were right. He, she doesn't pull anything out and then stands over his body and then just sort of like looks at looks at Warren, who's still holding his side. And then he's like he basically crawls towards her while she's standing up and he just starts crying crying and the movie fucking as the as the the just before as the sun rises you pull out on this couple this total role reversal of like this like gnashing man and this fucking chick with like a gory hand standing over a dead guy that she just fucking killed with her bear not an implement she didn't take the guy's machete and stab him with it. He didn't back off a fucking cliff. He didn't get crushed by a rock. She didn't desperately choke him out with like a chain or a rope or something like that. She just acted. It's a desperation maneuver. It absolutely fucking worked. And Warren is like, ah, and, and like holding, and she's just standing there like triumphantly. It's badass. I fucking love it. It's so good. It's super badass. And the fact that it's not a rape revenge movie, she didn't have to go within herself after being violated to get to this point at all. It just came out. She did it all herself. And mostly because she knew that this was in her and was questioning herself why she was holding back or becoming timid Mm -hmm. at, at these moments just recently. So it was like we got to see the Constance she always knew she was in a way. And without it being a reaction to some sort of violation. Yeah, because getting attacked is scary enough. It doesn't need to be, you know, I, that's the one thing that like, you know, as a uh, tentatively call myself a writer, I get uncomfortable with that. But like as someone who creates fiction um, with written words, it's a writer, Wes, just say it. As, I'm, as a writer, uh, you know, when you try to come up with reasons about like what, could instill a female character to revenge or to fight for themselves you know you know my man brain is just like goes to that cliched thing of violation where looking at this movie it's a great reminder to just be like just being attacked is scary enough almost murdered is scary enough it doesn't need to be something there doesn't need to be the indignity on top of the terror that doesn't need to be part of it and i was like yes that happens uh, and yes, I don't um, fault filmmakers and writers for including it in their material. But if just more of them realize there's another way to do it, I think more people should pay attention to, again, of all movies, Just Before Dawn, 1981, early slasher cycle flick that a lot of people don't remember. Yeah, a woman doesn't need to be pregnant, protecting her children. She doesn't need to be holding on to an engagement ring she doesn't need to have any of that stuff she's absolutely a human as well and like you said being attacked is scary enough mm-hmm. wanting to live is reason enough to fight for it hell yeah so what do we got next for him coming up next we're gonna actually go the opposite direction from 1981 we're gonna go right to 2021 
and we are going to talk about Halloween Kills. Yes, this is um, going to be one of the rare times where we do something that's so modern, it's still in theaters. Yet, for all of the years that we've talked about Halloween and Michael Myers and Loomis, can't forget Loomis. I'm a huge Loomis fan. I mean, we've <laughs> covered Halloween 1 and 2. We've talked about Halloween. We bring up Michael Myers often enough mm-hmm. as the shape and, you know, this fount of slashers to a certain degree. Uh, so it feels like we're still within our normal milieu, even though we're talking about a Hollywood blockbuster film that has <laughs> recently hit theaters. Yes, it's very exciting. Talk, oh, by the way, if any of you guys are curious about some generic spoiler-free thoughts, uh, I did write an old-timey written review on spotterpictures.net about Halloween Kills that you can check out um, if you're interested. Yeah. And it's thankfully spoiler-free, so that is a really good tidbit. Yes, yes. I try not to... My reviews are always about, like, my thoughts and feelings, and they're usually not about... Um, specific plot points, mostly because I find that when you start getting into plot points and written reviews, it's kind of like, where do you stop? Because is this thing going to be like three pages long? Will I become a Wikipedia entry? Or am I just going to tell you my general thoughts about the tone and what I t- was getting from the film as I was watching it? As That seems to be shorter. Because if tighter. not, then it's, yeah, because if not, then it's a novelization, which I do have. I have the novelization written by Tim Wagner of... Uh, Halloween Kills. We do live in a whole different world outside of written reviews. The written reviews that you've always put on Dead Air, if they're not about something that's very old and it's more of an exploration, they are spoiler-free on the show. Obviously, if you're listening into the end of this where you've basically been told the entire plot of Just Before Dawn, we do spoil stuff. So uh, hopefully everyone can see it. It seems like everyone and their dog has seen it already. So when mm-hmm. we talk about Halloween Kills, it'll it'll be spoilery. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but until then, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. I'm like flexing in the camera for some reason.